episode 9 of The Build. How are you doing? Hope you're doing well. I had a pretty good week last week. Um, specifically Thursday. Um, got to do a lot of Habs-related things on Thursday, which is uh, always fun. I, I, rare, I, I, almost, I don't think I've ever said no to an opportunity to go talk about the Canadians with someone on a different program. Um, Thursday was the last game against the New Jersey Devils. Um, during the second intermission, I joined at Habslaughs, Mike, uh, on Twitter, uh, at Habslaughs, of course, um, for the Habslaughs Intermission Club. Uh, it's during the second intermissions on Twitter spaces. I love the idea. The concept is really, really cool, um, mostly because I think, um, I think intermission content for fans is bad. <laughs> I mean, I won't. I'll put it. I won't put it lightly. It's bad. Um, think about like the inter- The first. Think of the first intermission on like Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, and think of how bad it is. It's it's brutal. Um, we don't get that every night, but I mean, that's sort of the poster child for me for bad intermission content. And I think what. Mike is trying to do with the Habs Loves Intermission Club is just um, make it very Habs focused, um, keep it light, but not in a way that like Kevin Bieksa keeps it light, which is just by making fun of Elliot Friedman for three minutes. Um, it's a great, it's a great bit. I've I've enjoyed listening to it not only um, for the intermission coverage, but to learn more about some of the people who um, you know partake in Habs Twitter. It's been a lot of fun, so I got to do that. Um, and it was great again during the Jets game. I've, I've been, I've listened to it every game since, um, and I will listen to it every game that I watch just because I think it's, it's so much better to, to, you know, as a, as intermission content, but I got to do that on Thursday. And then after the game ended, I did an hour on game over Montreal with Andrew Berkshire on the SDPN. Um, we talked about Michael Ryder a lot more than I thought we would, which is cool. Not a lot of uh, places will let me do that, so had a lot of fun about that. Andrew cried laughing about uh, a bit with uh, Tom Pyatt, who of course came over in the uh, infamous Scott Gomez deal. But Pyatt, back before 24CH, they used to do like a day in the life of the Canadians, and they'd always start it with like a clip of of highlights where like guys scoring goals. But Pyatt hadn't scored a goal in Montreal. I mean, he, I think he only scored a handful while he was here. Um, but it was very funny because instead they showed him like beating out an icing call or something like that. And I, Andrew remembered that on the show. It was very good. Um, that show, I'm actually recording this during that show, so I'm not taking my own advice, but. I will watch it tomorrow when it's uh, available on YouTube because the live stream is always available um, after the fact. Both those shows are fantastic. Um, they should be part of your fan diet moving forward, your content diet. Um, along with my friends at Lockdown Canadians, that show is fantastic. The The work that those guys put in over there to, to bring a daily podcast five days a week is um, pretty incredible. Um, imagine like, you know how hard it was to just like get out of bed for the last two years. Like imagine like making a podcast five days a week. It's insane. Um, and I bring all this up not to name drop or, you know, toot my own horn, but, and I say this a lot, if you listen to not only this show, but the other stuff that I do, 
the the other places that I get to to go and be myself. Um, I really appreciate it. So thank you for listening to those things. If there's so much, there's so much stuff. <laughs> the sentence could end there. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff for you to listen to and consume when it comes to being a fan of this hockey team. And for some reason, you guys keep choosing to come listen to me. So that that means a lot. So thank you. Um, it means a lot. I'm just some idiot in Connecticut, and you guys care what I think about this hockey team that that is like an eight-hour drive away from me. So appreciate it. Um, why is this episode a little late? Well, none of your business. No, um, I thought Carey Price was going to play on Monday. I think that's what a lot of us thought. Um, and then he didn't, which is good. It's good that they're not rushing him back. This seemed like a perfect opportunity with Allen going out with an injury against Toronto. Um, it seemed like the perfect opportunity for him to come back. But they didn't They didn't play him. And I think Marty St. Louis said, you know, when Price, Price is going to make that decision, when Price says he's okay, he's in the game. So um, the whole episode was going to be about that. It was going to be about the return of Carey Price because I think the next steps of this rebuild are so centered around him you know there, there's obviously other parts and Carey Price isn't the goalie that he once was at least we don't think he can be that again maybe he'll prove us wrong but so much of of his availability over the next two three years is going to be a really really big part of what this team is able to do to build for a future that he may or may not be a part of so when he does come back, and it seems like it might be soon, I, I have a feeling it might be Friday night against the Islanders at home. It's it's going to be a, a big deal, not only for fans, but I think for the organization to see, you know, not in that one game, but over the stretch of the, the, the stretch run here at the end of the season, seeing what they have in this guy. Is he, first of all, like I we talked about it last week, I, I think there's a non-zero percent chance that Carey Price comes back, tests it, says, nah, it's not for me anymore, sorry, and he hangs him up. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I talked about it with Andrew Berkshire on, um, on Game Over. The concept of a trade seems far less likely just because, like, a lot of cap moving the other way. Montreal would probably have to eat a ton of cap coming back the other way. And at that point, is it even worth it? Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'm kind of laying out every single possibility in front of us. But, like, you know, it's it's it, it's a big deal for him to come back. Um, not only from, a, a, a you know, an emotional standpoint that he's been the emotional leader of this hockey team for over a decade. But... Um, you know, he just so much of what the organization is going to do moving forward is centered around him. Um, so more to come on that. I want to start with some first impressions on Jordan Harris. We've seen, um, I believe, four games from him. Uh, he, he was scratched, I believe, the New Jersey game. I can't remember which game, but he didn't play one of the games. Um. And I think he looks he looks he looks fine. He doesn't look like he's out of place. Um, no more so than anybody else playing defense for the Montreal Canadiens, which has again proven to be the 
I, I think the biggest issue with this team moving forward, but um, I think he's smooth. Uh, he's really confident in the way that he moves, especially when he has the puck. Um, you know, I think the defensive side of the game will come with a lot of younger players. That's that, that tends to be the case, but it's nice to see that he has these flashes offensively. He had a rush against um, Winnipeg on Monday night where he came up the boards he got to about he got to the center ice line. There was a defender in front of him, and he banked the puck off the boards and went around to the defense or the defenseman. So he gave himself a bank pass. Um, so I think there's a there's I you know folks said that he's not really that offensively inclined. He's got a little bit of that, but it won't you know it might not translate to the NHL game. I think there might be a lot there that's untapped. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but. Just watching the way that he sees the game and he skates, he he's jumped up in a bunch of rushes. He's not afraid to do that. And and kudos to the coaching staff for giving their players, especially the young ones, the the green light. You know, you think about the I think about it from a baseball perspective. Um, when you you know you have a three zero count, you look down to your third base coach. He'll he'll give you one of two signs. One is take you're not swinging at this no matter what we need you to keep working that pitch count up we don't want you to pop fly out on a on a pitch where you know you might walk or you might draw a 3-1 count and walk on another pitch he might give you the take or he might give you a green light which means if you see something you like cook it like go after it um i kind of see a little bit of that here i think the canadians are realizing that they need to see what is what, what they have with all of these players. So giving guys like Harris and Barron the green light to go out there and try some stuff is huge. It's worked for Caulfield. I think that's what they gave him as soon as St. Louis showed up is they gave him that green light to go out there and try some stuff. Um, still, there's some defensive hiccups. Um, defensive zone coverage can lapse from time to time. The big save that Montembeau made on uh, Adam Lowry in the first period was on a play where both Suzuki and Harris made lunging plays at the passer, and they they, they left Lowry the shooter open on on the um, on Montembeau's glove side. So I think that's something that as a team needs to be ironed out. So it's you know it's he while he's making that mistake, I guess the the positive and negative of it is that he blends right in because they're all making that mistake. Um, I think that's something that we see over the summer. They'll probably get a new defensive coach and and then into training camp with some new personnel, both behind the bench and on the ice. Um, that's something that I think is going to get ironed out. Um, but he has he he likes to move the puck from defense to offense, which puts him at an incredible disadvantage for this team or an incredible advantage for this team who needs to do that moving forward. Something they have not done well for a decade. So with that said, there was one thing I wanted to talk about this week. This will be a bit of a shorter episode again, because I was, I was really banking on Carey Price playing. Um, so it's really just what's off the top of my head this week. Um, I, there's been a little bit of a of discussion about um, the honeymoon phase of, of Marty St. Louis wearing off on on the Canadians' top line, or at least two-thirds of it, in Caulfield and Suzuki. And, you know, they're starting to... I think we're starting to have the discussion of whether or not these two should play on the same line moving forward. Um, I think, first of all, like, the question is entirely valid, right? Like, 
there are a lot of teams in this league who don't put their two best forwards on the same line, even if they don't play the same position. I think about Philadelphia for years, they had that sort of, they had that conundrum with uh, Jake Voracek and um, Claude Giroux. Like they'd put them together and they look great for like, you know, a five, 10 game stretch. And then they would, they would sort of fall off. And then everybody was screaming at them to be, for them to be separated. Um, so I think that's something you might want to try to avoid moving forward at the same time. Like that's a, that's a discussion for next year of, of them playing on a separate line, Caulfield and Suzuki. Um, there's a lot to discuss here and I'll get into it, but I think that it's before I get into any of that, it's important to say like, none of that matters right now. (laughs) It doesn't matter that they're getting destroyed possession wise. They need to see what they have in in everybody. They need to to work through a lot of these problems. And I think one of those problems is finding a winger for Coffee Lynn Suzuki. Um, I do think that the organization thinks that these two are going to be on the same line, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, on the power play, no question, they're wave one. And then you fill in the parts around them. You find a distributor at the who will sit at the top of the umbrella who won't fire pucks into shin pads. I love you so much, Jeff Petrie, but I cannot wait for you to not be doing that. And even though Marty St. Louis has gone to a five, a five forward power play unit, it's still, they're putting Mike Hoffman at the top of the umbrella and he's just doing the same thing. He, he did it in this game where like he's taking slap shots from the inside the blue line in the year of our Lord 2022. Like it's not an effective way of scoring on the power play. You have to get closer to the net. You have to not only get closer to the net, but you're shooting from dead on. Like he's shooting from center ice at the blue line. There's no angle. Like you're really, you're hoping for a bounce, which when you're at five on five, I have no problem with that, right? Like you don't have any sort of advantage other than positionally you have, you are in the offensive zone. I don't have an issue if you want to take a shot from the point now and then and see what you can create. They scored a goal off of that in, uh, on Monday night's game against Winnipeg, um, but on the power play, you can't. You just cannot do that. The guy at the point needs to just be a distributor and maybe take an occasional shot when, you know, the 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 the, the penalty killers have pushed out to the wings and they've kind of taken away those options. Because then if you become a shooting threat from the point, then you 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 make them respect that as a shot. But right now, like they're just they're just shooting and hoping that it goes anywhere near the net. Um, not to get too much on a power play tangent, but that's got to change moving forward. All of the special teams need a revamp. Um, at five on five, as I said, they're getting hemmed into their zone a lot. Possession wise, it doesn't look good. Um, I'm not going to get into the numbers because it's not it's not super important. You just need to know that it's not great. Like positional or possession wise, they're not doing very well. Then again, find me a line on this team that isn't getting hemmed in. I thought on Monday. Um, Armia, Dvorak, and Gallagher were, were pretty good. Um, Dvorak especially showed some things that we haven't seen in a while. Um, so getting hemmed in from a possession standpoint in your own zone is not something unique to the to the Suzuki, um, Caulfield, and Rem Pitlick line. But like everything else with this team, that line is incomplete. And the 
the piece I'm looking at is Rem Pitlick, who's doing his best Dale Weiss impression at the moment. Um, I think they want a left-handed shot on that line really bad. And I think that's why they moved Anderson off of it for the time being. Also, Anderson was struggling a little bit. Um, but, I mean, here, here are the left-shot wingers that the Canadians currently have. Paul Byron, Lauren Dauphin, Mike Hoffman, Michael Pozzetta, Rem Pitlick. That's it. So, it's not the greatest crop to choose from. Like, looking at that, like, you're not, we, we, we tried, we tried Hoffman there. And Hoffman right now, and I don't want to harp on the guy because it looks, he's not, it's not that he's lazy and he's not trying. He's moving his legs. He's, he's back checking. Like, he's doing things that lazy players don't do. He's not. It's not that he's just given up. The world has just doomed him. Yes, occasionally, I mean, I would say most of the time, he makes a boneheaded play with the puck. But it's not from like lack of caring. He's trying too hard to try to dig himself out of whatever funk he's in right now. Like all of these like no look backhand passes that Duran used to do all the time, and it would drive me nuts. Um, it's driving me nuts with Hoffman too, and you know Hoffman's playing with like. He was playing with Anderson and I believe Jake Evans for the majority of this game until Anderson and Pitlick switched places. But, you know, he's playing on a third line essentially. And then he and then he's on wave one of the power play. And when the Canadians pulled their goalie, or even before they pulled the goalie, and they had five skaters on the ice, they had four forwards and he was one of them. So like Marty St. Louis. I think he's kind of sent a little bit of mixed messages. I think he wants to kind of shelter him a little bit and playing him in that third line role on home ice can do that. All of this roundabout way of me saying Hoffman is not the short-term, mid-term, or long-term solution for who plays wing on the Suzuki Caulfield line, assuming that's a line that moves forward. He just can't do it. So that leaves you with Byron, Lion Dauphin, Michael Pozzetta, and Rem Pilek. Pazetta is not even an everyday NHLer at this point. Lauren Dauphin is playing well above his pay grade. He's been great. So it leaves you with Rem Pitlick and Paul Byron. And at that point, it's a little bit of a coin flip, although Rem Pitlick's the hot hand this year. So you give it to him if you really, really wanted a left-hand shot. Now, in the second period, Montreal had nothing going. They swapped Pitlick with Anderson they immediately got a scoring chance on that first shift with Anderson there. So I think they're willing to bend on that we need a left-handed shot there, but I do think it's a preference for them because they've, you know, Caulfield and Suzuki are both right-handed shots. I think they want a lefty out there who could win the odd face-off every once in a while, but also just to give them a different look on that line. It's very easy to defend if you've got three guys with the same, you know, who are shooting on the same side. Um, and it means that one guy is playing his off wing all the time. But I think, so I think it might be Anderson for a while now. And because he scored, he like it paid instant dividends for the Canadians and something that I'll get into in a little bit. I think it's because they actually started in the offensive zone. Suzuki won a draw. Petrie took a shot from the point, which I said earlier at five on five is fine. Because you're just kind of looking for a bounce on on a play like that. And they get one. Anderson's going to the net. 
The, def- the One of the defenders for Winnipeg has him tied up, but he's behind him, and Anderson's massive, so he can't stop him, and he just tips it behind Hellebuck. Um, so I think that speaks to a lot of the successes of of what that line can be, but also a lot of you know the inverse, the, the, the problems that they currently face, that the whole team currently faces. Um, I'm... I'm not sure about Hoffman or Hoffman. Yeah, I'm not sure about Hoffman, but that's not where I was going. I'm not sure about Suzuki, Caulfield, Anderson long term. It might be something you can roll out there for some energy from time to time, but I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a great fit. I would like to see a, a playmaker on the boards, like a playmaker to come in and play wing on that line, um, because Suzuki's kind of a little bit of everything. He can score goals. He can set plays up. He's defensively responsible. But I think I, I kind of want to see a designated playmaker on that line. Um, there's one available this summer um, in Johnny Gaudreau. He's a UFA out of Calgary. I doubt they sign him. He's not going to be cheap. Um, I don't think it happens. It's just kind of a pipe dream. It doesn't even really fit with the the short-term or long-term outlook for the Canadians. Um, he'll be 29 in August. We actually share the same birthday. I didn't realize that. Um, but I think that would signal that the Canadians want to be competitive much faster because he's 20, he'll be 29 this summer. So you're buying a lot of subprime years from Johnny Gaudreau. Um, another one is Philip Forsberg. Um, he's 20, he'll, I think he's 27, he'll be 28, um, having another career year. So it's two guys hitting UFA while, while having career years. It's probably another pipe dream, you know, but I, there were a lot of rumblings early on that the Canadians were going to take some big swings in the off season. I wonder if it's on a forward just because I think, yes, they've got, they've got some offensive prospects coming up. Uh, Joshua Wall looks outstanding in the OHL. Um, Raphael Harvey Pinard is lighting it up in the AHL. I don't know what his ceiling is, maybe a middle six kind of guy, but you know, there's a, it's a good thing. The draft is before free agency. Let's see what the Canadians get with whatever their first round pick ends up being right now. They have the second highest lottery odds. Um, I think Arizona is still in first. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they will add something on the wing um, offensively for the Canadian, you know, for that top line. But I'm, I'm curious to see how they go about doing that. But to put a bow on this, I also feel like the forwards will improve from a possession standpoint when they have an NHL caliber defense behind them. They're getting hemmed in a lot because the defense can't break up a cycle. They can't stop a rush. They can't transition the puck. Like those are three things that you have to do defensively in order to move the puck out in order to stop the bleeding from a possession standpoint they can't do it (laughs) it's just the way they play is not good enough the guys they have god bless all of them are not they're not in it's not an nhl caliber blue line and it that's not to say it'll always be that way you know um but right now it's not good enough and that's i think leading to a lot of the issues with um you know their their forwards having like these these bad numbers because they're 
even the, you know they're especially good forwards, just being hemmed into their zone. And also you have to take into account, I know Ben Sherratt wasn't great, but they were using him as a top pairing defenseman and they traded him, meaning someone else needed to step up and other guys needed to step into the lineup. Same thing with Brett Kulak. He was a guy that, well, I think he was playing quite a bit under Martin Saint-Louis. When they traded him, other guys need to step up. Even though they weren't the best defensemen, they still leave a hole on this team. And relatively speaking, they were important defensemen to this hockey team. So I think I think they can make minor improvements um, in the way that they play. So, like, you know, we've talked a lot about zone defense, man-to-man defense, the differences between them, which ones are more successful with this hockey team. And while I think that'll be enough to, like, stop the bleeding moving forward, that blue line, it needs it needs a shakeup. I think they already know that. And I think that's why we've seen guys like Barron come in. Thank God Harris, you know, signed in Montreal because I think he's going to be a big part of that. Norlinder moving forward. Caden Gooley. Like, the, the, there's, there's no guarantee all of those guys hit, right? Like, there's no guarantee all of those guys are NHL players. So you need to you need to keep adding. Um, I'll be interested to see what they do as far as adding more NHL proven talent to that blue line over the next few years to help nurture those younger guys. That's why I think Edmondson sticks around and is that. I mean, I think it's a coin flip for him to be captain at this point, um, just even for a short term. Or even if they don't name, uh, they said they were going to name another captain. So I guess I guess they would. Um, they would name him in this scenario just because I think he means a lot to that team. Um, I think the team really respects him as a hockey player and as a person. I think he just seems like the kind of attitude you'd like to have guys learning from. Um, but it could, it could be Suzuki, too, if they want to turn it over to the young guys. I do think it'll be Edmondson, though. Um, but I wonder who else do they bring in to help be that guy for the defense? Like... On Game Over last week, I talk, we talked a lot about Corey Perry and the, the impact that he had on the young Canadians forwards. Like, Cole Caulfield, like, loved Corey Perry. He loved being around him. Find the defensive Corey Perry. I don't know who that is. Go find him. And keep him around Romanoff. And keep him around Harris. And maybe Gooley makes the jump next year. I bet he plays in the AHL. But Norlinder. Baron, get them for these guys. Find them a guy that they can lean on. Because right now, I mean, like Petrie's on his way out. I wonder, I wonder what they're thinking of with David Savard. There's a lot of question marks back there. In a roundabout way to get back to what I was talking about, I think if you clean that up, it's going to make the it's going to make the offensive metrics look a lot better because they'll be able to move the puck out of their own zone instead of spending the majority of their time 200 feet from the opposing net. Like I think I think uh in the Toronto game on Saturday, the Leafs had like a 3 to 1 time on ice advantage um in the attacking zone, so they spent three times as much time in the offensive zone as the Canadians did. That that's just a, a massive skill gap. And on top of that, like even if even if, you know, instead of thinking the Canadians need to get better, like I, I just I don't know. I, I I'm at a loss for words at how bad this team is at moving the puck out of their zone. So that's what I'm looking for most of all to see how the the forwards improve based on that. 
But I do think that that third line mate um, on the Caulfield Suzuki line, there's it's probably going to be an open tryout next year at camp, unless they go out and acquire someone specifically for that line. We're going to see what what they have in the organization. Um, so that's all I got for today. Told you it was going to be a little bit shorter, only a half hour today. Um, thanks for listening. I'm it. I'm done for the day. Um, follow me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at rabbit Habs for the blog. Um, go check out the stuff that I mentioned. I'll, I'll drop it in the, um, in the description, both game over Montreal, um, the Habs last intermission club. I don't know how to link spaces. I'll have to figure that out. Um, locked on Canadians. Go check those guys out. Um, check those in the description. I'll drop them there. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and you're hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff, including a brand new six-track album called Expedition. It's very cool. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Bye.